welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so very much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds good to you, make sure that you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. And you won't miss a single episode when they drop on Monday mornings. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, and at A to Z Sports on Twitter, at Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. For all of Zach's musings on Josh Heupel, on uh, the surging speculation on AMC stock and GameStop stock. Um, No, I'm just kidding. That's not going to be on there. I mean, it might be. I don't know. Is that going to be on there, Zach? Unlike the rest of Twitter, I've not become a Wall Street expert over the last week. it is a bunch of novice there, not handing out any any uh, tips there. It's been pretty funny. Just that whole a, a short aside here, I guess, to start the podcast. It absolutely took over Twitter uh, over the last few days of this week. And I've always been. It's really exciting to see that many people um, get into stock speculation because I've always I had, you know, I'm an accountant. I'm just a huge nerd about all of that stuff. I've been I've been betting on old Wall Street for a while now, and it was cool to just see a lot of normal people wake up. Hey, maybe you can invest, get a little get a little money on the side. And hey, Robin Hood, how about you just let the free market work? Anywho, that's uh, this is my podcast. I can say what I want. Now, let's talk about Tennessee football. Uh, Josh Heupel is your hire. We had uh, the emergency podcast earlier, or uh, I guess a few days ago, whatever day that was. All time melds together. Time's a flat circle. Nothing's real. And um, he he's the new coach, and everybody's just kind of been trying to break down, is this the normal Tennessee, you got to Google him, and this is just going to be the, the same thing that we do again in three years, or could this potentially be the guy that gets Tennessee back to where it needs to be? So through these last few days, how have you been feeling about it, Zach? Kind of back and forth. I think anytime there's a new coach hired, I mean, there's some energy there. It's time for change. You know, it's a blank slate. Anything's possible with a new coach. But there are some some of the same red flags that we kind of saw with Butch Jones that I I think we would be unwise to ignore them. I mean, there's a lot of UCF fans that seem pretty happy that they get a chance at a new coach. And that's that's never a good sign if you hire a guy away from a program and they're not upset he left. I would say that just because Tennessee has been burned by that exact thing so many times over now, where you see the other fan base go, whew, thank goodness you took that guy off our hands. And then, yep, happened with Butch. I, I would say if people even cared, it would have happened with Dooley, but I just think there it was just apathy. Also, Twitter wasn't as big of a thing back then. Um, and... I with Pruitt, people were just. I guess they they Alabama kind of said, "Well, dang, our defense was pretty good with him, and it seems like his players like him." But I mean, he's never been a head coach. Good luck was sort of it. So, been burned too many times over, and to see 
another fan base do that? Obviously, it's an overly simplified analysis of the situation. I think everybody understands that. But don't overlook it. At the same time, I would go, UCF might have gotten a little spoiled over the last few years because they went 13-0, and then 12-1 and in back-to-back seasons, one of those coached by Josh Heupel. And um, their head got a little big. It's easy to do. Tennessee should know. <laughs> Tennessee's been living in 1998 for 23 years now. Uh, and so there's a lot to break down here because he... T- the, the news this week has been the speculation on who he's going to bring into his staff. Some of it's not even speculation. They just haven't been, the hires haven't been officially named yet, but they're definitely happening. There's a good deal of that. And so much of this is just looking, a lot of these guys are just coming from Heupel's program at UCF. And it's so hard to judge a person who's coming from a program like that, how they'll do at a monster like Tennessee. UCF, massive school, big resources, but it is not the same. Not even remotely the same. So uh, what have you seen so far, Zach, on on the the staffing speculation for Josh Heupel? I mean, it looks pretty much like he's going to bring most of his offensive staff, maybe all of his offensive staff. And, you know, that's kind of what Butch Jones did. I don't really think that's that much of a red flag. It worked at UCF. Why not bring those guys? Continuity is important. Honestly, you know, Jeremy Pruitt hired a lot of guys with SEC experience. I mean, the he went through a lot of staff turnover, but he consistently replaced guys that, that were big names at, with big names. You bring in guys like T. Martin and Jay Graham, Tracy Rocker, Will Friend. All these guys had SEC experience. And they never really gelled together. You know, the defense never really lived up to its potential. You brought in Derek Ansley as a defensive coordinator. He was a big name, had been at Alabama, had been at Tennessee before. For whatever reason, him and Pruitt, I don't know if they didn't see eye to eye or if Pruitt meddling, whatever the case was. Same thing on the offense of side of the ball with Jim Chaney, who had been at Georgia and Arkansas and Tennessee. The big staff names, uh, the big hires didn't really pay off, so – I'm not really that concerned about him bringing most of his offensive staff with him. Uh, Alex Golish, who looks to be the offensive coordinator, tight ends coach, Hypo calls his own plays. That's, you know, Golish seems to be a pretty good recruiter. He was at Iowa State. A lot of people liked him up there. It, it is what it is on the offensive side of the ball. I, I don't see any benefit to him going out there and not retaining some of these guys just to hire a guy that that has a, a SEC program on his resume. Yeah, with the offense, I I definitely say at first blush, don't fix it if it ain't broke. And his offense was not broken at UCF. Obviously, number two offense in America uh, the last two seasons. So that it kind of speaks for itself. Recruiting is obviously a big thing, but. Tennessee, to whatever extent, kind of recruits itself. We'll get into his recruiting staff that he may be bringing and kind of what that means in, in a little bit here. Uh, but with with the offense, I, I can't have a problem with that because those people have gotten results. And that's about the long and the short of it. But if Pruitt taught us anything, it is that it doesn't really matter if you bring in an all-star staff 
I mean, Pruitt had guys you mentioned there. T, Jay Graham, Cheney. You know, he, he brought in some heavy hitters, relatively speaking, to the situation. And if the guy at the top's not right, it's not going to work. You have to have that person, uh, that leader of men, that manager that can put them in the right place with, with the right players and create a formula for success. And any kind of assertion that Hypel is that guy at Tennessee is just nothing but speculation. Like I could say, oh, I, he, he probably, like you'll see like these national guys go, oh, well, Hypel, Hypel is, it's, I mean, it's the same thing that they did with any of these coaching candidates that they put out there that they loved. Oh, he's a great person. Everybody loves him. His players love that. But, but, but who cares? Show me the results. That's all it comes down to. Um, and, and Hypo got some results, even though they were diminishing year over year at UCF. Uh, but I, I just, I'm not going to be convinced of that until a season, two seasons, three seasons passes that he's truly the, the CEO, so to speak, that, that Tennessee needs, because this is such a different animal. We've said it so much on this show. Tennessee just has like you, you could bring together. Who's, who's like some of those guys like Gary Vaynerchuk? You know, those people that literally go out and teach people how to manage a business. Um, you could bring them in, and at Tennessee, they'd be like, mm, I don't know. that it, This is too much. This is it's too crazy. This is too stupid. I can't do it. Like, it just seems like there's a curse on Tennessee for whatever it is. I, you, they just can't find the guy that can wrangle this thing. Um, so I'm happy that the offensive staff is coming for the most part. They look like a competent set of folks. Um, but this defensive staff, what have you seen uh, for that? Because I think what I'm talking about there, where you really put people in the right place with the right players, the defensive staff is going to be so imp- so important. What's the news been there? Yeah, this this whole – I mean, the Josh Heupel era is going to be defined by really who he hires to run the defense because, you know, we've seen you put up a lot of points, but if you're not stopping the other side of the ball, it doesn't really matter. Really, I think – I think the Tennessee defensive coordinator job will be attractive because you've got an offensive-minded head coach that, I mean, he's probably going to give the defensive coordinator complete autonomy. So you're not going to have a situation where you where you go work for a Jeremy Pruitt type, type head coach and you don't really get to do what you want to do. Whoever comes into Tennessee, it's going to be their defense. They're probably going to hire their own people. So far, nobody has been hired on the defensive side of the ball. I think Kevin Steele is still on staff at Tennessee. He's the only person on the defensive side of the ball still on staff because Derek Ansley went to the NFL. Uh, Shelton Felton and Brian Niedermeyer were obviously fired. Your defensive line coach was fired several months ago. So, so it's really just Kevin Steele there. And really, I would – I would assume, and this is just an assumption because still hasn't been let go yet, that maybe Heupel is trying to talk him into staying, which would be smart. Kevin Still has a lot of experience. He knows the recruiting landscape. He knows Tennessee. He knows all these programs. He's game-planned against them. He would probably be the best fit right now for that defense, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an awkward situation where he came in to be the interim head coach. Uh, he kind of knew that Pruitt was on the way out. He wanted the Tennessee job. 
he didn't get it just like he didn't get the Auburn job. I mean, it, it is kind of a strange situation there with Steele. So they're working through some of that. Hopefully it's not a situation where, uh, like you kind of mentioned when we were talking before the podcast, hopefully they don't say, here, here's Kevin Steele. This has to be your guy. Uh, hopefully this is Heupel's decision. Just don't force it on him because it's that's a formula for things to get ugly because there can just be resentment where a guy goes, oh, this guy should, you know, this dude shouldn't even be in the building. He's only here because they want him to be here, yada, yada, yada. Like, and that was, uh, that was actually part of the reason that I think that UCF regressed a bit under Hypo is because Randy Shannon at UCF was pretty much pushed on Hypo. That wasn't Hypo's hire. And that's encouraging because hopefully that won't happen here, but it's also discouraging because Danny White was the AD at UCF, and you would assume that he had a hand in kind of pushing that higher on on Heupel. Obviously, we'll just have to see where that goes, but that situation is just strange in general. You're exactly right on that in- initial analysis of Steele. He's a competent guy. He's... Looking through his record, his track record at Auburn, his defense has never finished a season above fifth in the SEC, but it's also never finished below seventh. So he's consistent. <laughs> you know, you wish you'd be a little bit better, maybe, but he he's consistently in that solid defense range. Hey, that's good. Known as a good recruiter, he also, some guys like a, a Rodney Garner that are sort of I guess, quote unquote, tied to steel, maybe are also highly, highly regarded. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> you just, it, it's so hard to ignore this context here because if, if steel was just out there floating around and Heupel tracked him down and said, come be our guy, come be a defensive coordinator. You're a, you're a son of Tennessee. We want you here, blah, blah, blah. Great. But all of this, you know, th- this sort of talk, well, it's not even talk. This is the fact. Tennessee owes Steele nine hundred thousand. Who made the? Who made this contract? It had to be Fulmer. It had to be Fulmer because it or whoever read segment. I don't who who did this. What lawyers approve this nonsense? Nine hundred thousand dollars if they let Steele walk, or if they tell Steele to walk. I guess if they fire him now for essentially two weeks, month of quote-unquote work, this dude collects almost a million bucks from the University of Tennessee. Stupid beyond belief, classic Tennessee stuff. Um, and so you you look at that and you go, well, if he stays, are they just doing that so they don't have to pay him $900,000? Is that what's happening here? Like You just you can't take away all of that context. And if things go really sour with the defense next year, what's going to be the talk there? How quickly is he going to get shuffled out the door? And so I, my feeling says just find somebody else while at the same time I go, don't give this guy $900,000 for two weeks of work. What were we doing? Whose idea was that? Not only the $900,000, I mean, Tennessee just, the Kevin Steele hire really is just an underrated idiotic move in all of this because not only, you know, the money part of it, but then You've got this T. Martin stuff that we've seen this week where T. Martin's upset that he wasn't the interim head coach because I believe he was the associate head coach uh, on his official title. He's kind of bothered by that. It, it really, you didn't need 
a specific interim head coach at the end of December, beginning of January. The team is, they, they went home for Christmas break. They're coming back. They're getting started with classes. I mean, they didn't really even start working out till this week. And with COVID going on, it's not really like you can be around the team as much as before. There was really no benefit in, oh, we need an interim head coach for two weeks. We don't want somebody that was already on the staff because of this investigation. That was uh, kind of what Jimmy Homs put out there this week. Yeah. That that's the reason T. Martin didn't get elevated to interim head coach. And I'm not necessarily advocating for T. Martin, but he wasn't even interviewed as a part of the investigation. Like He, he has no really connection to the stuff that was going on at Tennessee, it would have been easy to just do it. And maybe they didn't want to not give him the job. Uh, maybe that would have been awkward. I don't know. If that's the case, then let Jim Chaney do it. He's done it before at Tennessee. There's, there was plenty of options there. They didn't have to go hire Kevin Steele when they clearly knew at that point that Jeremy Pruitt was on the way out. They they knew. They, they already knew the rumblings. They knew what would, had went on. The investigation had been going on for two months. It's not like they found out some information on a couple of days before they made their decision and said, oh, we got to fire Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, they'd already hired a search firm to replace Philip Fulmer at that point. They knew the situation, and they knew what they were putting Kevin Still into. Here's my speculation. Speculation, speculation, speculation. It's my guess. There's no – we're not ever going to get proof that this was the case. This is my guess outside looking at my assessment of the situation. I wonder – if they had not fully decided on booting Fulmer out the door and Fulmer said, hey, let's bring in Kevin Steele. We have to have somebody from outside, all of this stuff, kind of what you're saying. And he says, let's bring him in. And if we, and I think, I think if it was up to Fulmer, obviously the, the decision to fire Pruitt was ultimately above Fulmer. That was 100% clear, and they kicked him out the door, even though he's, he got to say that he retired. But anyway. <laughs> but I wonder if he just said, well, I'll bring him in, and that'll be my guy for this coming year, and then maybe if he's good enough, we'll keep him longer than that. And this was Fulmer's plan. I just wonder if that was the case, and now Tennessee is sitting here with this 900 thousand dollar liability sitting on its you know balance sheet looking and going what did what are we doing why like why just another one of those things where you look back in hindsight at the university of tennessee and you go what were we thinking just yet another one and that that's what it turns into the the stuff with t that that's a whole mess and you you can debate all day long if he's ready to be a head coach in my opinion he's ready to be a head coach just not at the University of Tennessee I advocated for it <laughs> if you go back and listen to the podcasts around I I don't know during the major skid after the Kentucky game everything's going down I said fire this guy make T the interim and find you a new coach I was I was hawking that big time um and so like I'm I'm for T getting himself set up for big things in the future. But if all of this is over him not being able to interview for the head coaching job at Tennessee, personal third-party opinion, I mean, he's just he's just not there yet. He's just not – like, I, and I say that of anybody who's of his, his resume height. Anybody. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm glad T is one of the great – 
names in this university's history. He's been a great ambassador for the university since he's been here. Love him and everything that he means to the university. But it's, I'd say, again, anybody with a resume that is at his level, you just, I mean, you're just not ready yet. And uh, I mean, if he I, hadn't I, went to Tennessee, nobody would even mention it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, and that's all you really need to say in that that situation. I, I hate that he's upset, and if it's going sour, I hope it doesn't. You know, Tennessee kind of has a history of driving a wedge in between itself and players for a myriad of different reasons, um, and very stupidly. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, I think part of it, too, is that he, he says he had this verbal agreement for an extension. Um, I'm not really, you know, that was with Philip Fomer. Fomer's gone. Not really sure how that factors in with the new staff. I mean, it's kind of a messy situation there. I think his, the last day of his contract is today, Sunday. Yep. And it's up after today. I mean, we've seen coaches work beyond their contracts, but he hasn't it, even it is. Been, yeah, he's I, been I in Alabama. Him. Yeah, I, I follow him on Instagram. He hasn't even been in Knoxville. He's been in, at the Senior Bowl with his kids and – he did give an interview down there, and he did say that he's talked to Josh Heupel, and they're working through some things. And, and the interview, I was surprised that he gave the interview, that he spoke to the media about any of the situation. But uh, he was pretty classy in the interview. He didn't really create any conflict or, or throw out any crazy sound bites that we were, you know, make his talking points or anything like that. But it is a strange situation that um, Kevin Steele and Joe Osevet are the other two members of the staff that are still employed by Tennessee right now. They've been in Knoxville working. Jim Chaney and Chris Winkie were let go this week. It is strange that T hasn't been there. Um, you know, we saw Tracy Rocker miss a lot of stuff with his son that pitched at Vanderbilt. Uh, a lot of important games that he missed to be on the recruiting trail or to be in the office. You know, T. Martin doesn't have to be in Mobile right now, so it, it is kind of a weird look to me. Uh, maybe it's just – maybe I'm looking too much into it. I don't know. But it is strange to me. Yeah, I, I just hope that it ends amicably, whatever it is. Just don't don't estrange T. Martin from this university. Please don't. That would be such a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- how, however that ends – Best of luck to all parties involved. I, I don't know. But uh, it, it is it's just another element in all of this where it does seem like I think Tennessee just wants to separate itself completely from Pruitt. Just we're very sorry that we have to, you know, Jay Graham went to Alabama. That sucks. That hmm. really sucks because Jay Graham's an awesome coach, an amazing recruiter. And he's a loyal guy. I mean, he was loyal to he Tennessee. Is. He was loyal to Jeremy Pruitt. He's not there for the drama side of things. He he doesn't – I mean, he just does his job, uh, and he's good at his job. And it's really going to be tough seeing him wear that A on his chest next fall. It's – honestly, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach <laughs> to think about that because, like, Texas A&M is one thing. Right. But Jay Graham at Alabama is just – when he could have been here, but it, I mean, it's, if that is not proof positive that they let Jay walk to Tuscaloosa, if that's not proof positive that Tennessee wants to completely separate itself from the Pruitt era, I I don't know what is. I mean, I just think they want to clean the place out, make sure that these sanctions from the NCAA, whatever they may end up being in two, three, never years, who knows? 
Um, I think they want to make those as light as possible, clean up the program as quickly as possible. And that's just the way you do it. You, you have to be able to say to the NCAA, everybody's gone. They're all out of here. And um, so the, I hope that Hypel will we'll have more um, on this, obviously, as time goes on. And hopefully some of these uh, staff picks are actually officially uh, announced. But let's let's do talk about this briefly. Well, well, I'll say before we move on, was there anything else with the staff picks? Uh, and then I want to bring up something quickly that happened this week that I thought was interesting. But any more uh, points on the staff picks that you had, Zach? Yeah, I think uh, Zach Arnett at Mississippi State, the defensive coordinator there, is a name to watch yeah. for this opening. Uh, he's a young guy, well thought of. Wouldn't be surprised, you know, take some more money. He gets to do the, you know, he it gets to be his defense at Tennessee, like I talked about. He was in play at Texas and LSU, so he'd be a he'd be a great hire, I think. Um, I, I don't know if he'll be the guy or not, but I think he's a name to watch there. Number five defense uh, in the SEC this last year, so. And hey. and what he does because Mike Leach's offense is similar to Josh Heupel's offense. Uh, Heupel is kind of a Leach disciple in a way. So he's kind of used to to being a defensive guy for this type of offense, which I think would be a, a big positive for Tennessee. I would not balk at that higher at all. Uh, I can say that much. That, and there there are points to be made with this. It the the initial reports have been that Heupel is going to bring in his recruiting staff from UCF, but we kind of talked about it off off air here before the show. You know, I think people might initially look at that and go, well, all the recruiting classes at UCF stunk. Yeah, but it's relative to UCF. I mean, these people are still recruiting in the Southeast in probably the most competitive state in the Southeast in Florida. And I mean, it SEC recruiting is a viper's den unlike any other. But, you know, I... Tennessee, we always, everybody always kind of said Tennessee recruits itself to a certain extent. I, it's kind of one of those things. It's like until he starts bringing in like number thirty classes in America, I'm not going to be too upset about. Because I mean, Niedermeyer, total. Obviously, he was cheating out of his. You know, he was cheating like crazy, but a total, total, total no name, and he shot up to be uh, the the top recruiter. In, in America, it doesn't necessarily matter uh, what your name is if you know how to do your job correctly. And I, we'll see. I mean, you're not you're not going to be beating Alabama or Georgia for five star no. commits anytime soon. Whoever the coach was, without you're competing with some, South Carolina and Kentucky, right? And that that's who you're competing with, right? And, right now. Hopefully, in the future, you get up to Alabama and Georgia. But yeah, and and what Heupel did at UCF, I mean, he was. Let's see, number 2018, he had the number 62 class, 2019, number 60, uh, 2020, number 75. I mean, that's not great. Uh, but Scott Frost was in that same neighborhood. Scott Frost had two recruiting classes at UCF. He was number 65 and number 55. So you're kind of in that same range. And then even Lane Kiffin at FAU, which I think is a similar situation. And Lane Kiffin's known as a you know great recruiter. His cl- He had three classes at FAU. Number 60, number 75, and number 61. So Heupel's right in that same kind of range there at UCF. I don't I don't see anything there to really make me think, oh, there's no way he can recruit to Tennessee. Yeah. You get top 25 classes at Tennessee, 
anywhere from top 15 to top 25, you're, you're in the same type of players, that same range. You're going to have to win with that type of talent. So it's all about whether his scheme works or not to me. The recruiting, like you said, I think it'll pretty much take care of itself. And let's say this. Keep the recruiting stuff tight this time. Every school in America that plays big-time college football cheats. Heupel's going to have to cheat, too. Keep it tight, please. Please. Don't go whatever they were doing, giving out McDonald's bags or whatever. Keep it wrapped up. That's my word of advice there. But yeah, I'm 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 with you. The the to me, the recruiting strategy right now would be you have to beat Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, Vandy. And I think Tennessee almost does that by its name alone right now. And it and it almost always will just because of the insane fan base, donor base, you know, stadium facilities, blah, 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 blah. It just it it attracts a slightly higher level of recruit than a lot of those lower level programs. And, and you start out there, beat all of those schools, obviously keep the, as Hypel emphasized so much, keep those borders closed, keep a wall around the state of Tennessee. Um, and then after you get there and you're winning eight, nine games, then go compete with Georgia and Alabama for some of those big boys and we can go from there because that's the situation Tennessee is in right now. Something I, I feel like we should mention, too, with him bringing his whole staff. When Butch Jones brought most of his staff, not really any of those guys had much SEC experience or even Power 5 experience. A few of them did, so especially on the defensive side of the ball. But his offensive guys, uh, Mike Bajakian and Don Mahoney and some of them, they didn't really have that big-time college experience. It's not really the case with – most of Heupel's staff. I mean, Heupel spent himself spent you know most of his playing career and coaching career at Oklahoma. I mean, that's kind of as big time as it gets, especially in the Big Twelve. His uh, quarterbacks coach played at Oklahoma. He knows what that is all about, what the recruiting trail is about. Uh, his offensive line coach uh, spent some time at LSU. He also played college football at Middle Tennessee, so he knows the state. You know, these guys have some experience they can lean on. It's not like this is a recruiting against Alabama and Georgia and these programs is going to be completely foreign to them. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, in, until I see the recruiting just crumbling to the ground, it's, I'll give them, give them a chance. Nobody, you're not going to go get the recruiting staff from Alabama and Georgia and poach guys like that. I, you just, you work. I think he's almost in a position where you work with what you got because they're guys that you're familiar with and you go from there. So just a note uh, on that. And then let's talk briefly. <laughs> I mentioned on, on the, uh, the emergency podcast that we had after they hired Hypel and we were discussing everything in the press conference, introducing Hypel new Tennessee AD, Danny white, said that this was the first time in his entire career that there had been a leak during one of his coaching searches. And then a few days, and, and I mentioned on the show, it sounded like he wanted to strangle someone and throw them off the roof of the Anderson training facility. <laughs> um, and then a few days later, a report comes from Stephen Godfrey, a, a national reporter at uh, SB Nation Banner Society, whatever it is over there. Um, that he he reports, Stephen Godfrey reports that Danny White had sent out a memo 
about an investigation into where the leak came from. And Danny White turns around and says, what memo? I didn't send out, literally says this on Twitter, says, I didn't send out a memo. There's no memo. I'm too busy trying to make Tennessee great again, or whatever he said exactly. Um, That blows up. Tennessee fans love it, which is awesome. He needed kind of that, uh, that PR right now. And the theory from Tennessee fans right now is that Danny White essentially floated out that he was going to do an investigation to see where his leak was coming from. And that is the way that he tracked down the leak. So he went, he gave out something to leak that wasn't actually a leak. And then whoever it was leaked that to Stephen Godfrey. And Tennessee fans believe that that may have been a strategy by White to find out who his rat is. Which, if that's true, that's some Godfather stuff. And I love it. And I hope that's what happened. <laughs> hey, I mean, that was kind of my first thought, too, when I saw his rebuttal. Which, by the way, I love that because Tennessee, for far too long, has let things like this just fester and become a bigger story than it should be. Danny White just comes out there shuts it down immediately. Everybody kind of gets a good laugh out of it and, and makes fun of Stephen Godfrey, which I don't necessarily, you know, he, he took it in stride, was fine with it. But Good I think that's it. Doing that. Yeah, I think that's exactly what, you know, Tennessee needs. Just They let this stuff go on far too long and then Tennessee becomes a punchline. Just put it out and then move on. Danny White looks great whenever he does that. He didn't look so great when he's up there talking about negativity and leaks and this and that. What I do find odd is that uh, Stephen Godfrey was the one that that put the report out there, not a local guy. So maybe the local guys don't really want to jeopardize their their sources that they have in there. So they're not going to waste time putting that type of report out. They were like, yeah, we're not going to go with this. This isn't that big of a story to begin with. So why know why I put anything in jeopardy it was kind of strange that Danny White's been at Tennessee for you know two weeks and, and Stephen Godfrey was the one that that put that report out there so whoever Stephen Godfrey's source was at Tennessee before probably no longer is and I can also say I think you're exactly right with local guys um I'm sure that after White's comments kind of came out that it's pretty clear he's not playing around and all of this stuff. Those guys are going to have to be really careful because if you, if you've been in the know, like Zach and I have, where we've been in media previously, even if we're not still, you know, Zach is, I'm really not outside of this podcast. Um, but if you've been in it, like, like I was for five years and you're around that facility every day, you probably can hone in on who Austin Price is talking to, on who Bryn Hubs is talking to. And Austin Price knows that the AD knows that type of stuff, you know? And so they got to be careful about exactly, because it is abundantly clear what you're mentioning there. Danny White is going to try to tighten stuff up, which is good. Obviously, I already said it with recruiting. Tennessee, you are 100% right. Tennessee has been so loosey-goosey and stupid with letting out leaks and information and looking sloppy and all this, every move that they ever make. If he comes in 
and cleans all of that up, cleans the place out, gets it to a place where it can actually operate competently. Oh, God bless him. Cause Tennessee's needed that for 15 years. Um, yeah, I mean, look since, at- I mean, basically since Hamilton was here, they, they've needed that. And so, Man, I I hope that he is he's drilling that home into anybody that's left around that facility. I know they're going to definitely be letting people go or have already let people go uh, and they're replacing it with some of Danny White's guys. Uh, I I hope that it's just a total culture flip because it's been so sloppy for so long. Um, Yeah. Tighten it up. That's my message today on the podcast. You need a situation like Florida has where Dan Mullen was hit with a one-year show calls recently, and it's not even a blip on the radar for anybody. And, you know, that happens at Tennessee, all this stuff. I mean, you see it's not – it never is that smooth for Tennessee. The fact that Florida was able to kind of keep things quiet and it didn't evolve into a huge story, I mean, that's – kudos to them uh, for keeping that kind of in-house and managing that. I, I like Trey Wallace. He's, he's somebody that I've talked to just a decent amount and immediate, really nice guy. I don't know him like real well, but the fact that he got the scoop on the investigation, um, and he doesn't come from one of the quote unquote major outlets. I know, I know all of the state run and all of the whatever, however everybody feels about all that. I get it. But the fact that he got the scoop on that should tell you kind of the situation that Tennessee was in before to now where Austin Price is having a hard time getting the scoop on stuff. That's the the kind of, it went from the, the guys at Fox, Fox sports again, however you feel about them. They're, they're just not in that set of like they, they stir stuff up. And so I would assume the folks at Tennessee aren't like their biggest fans. <laughs> um, Cause I I've been in that seat. They'll turn on you super quickly. UT will. So um, yeah, it went from those guys getting the scoop to the most insider of insider, not being able to find out almost a thing. So please Danny white, clean it up like that. I, I am, I could not be, more for that because Tennessee has just been such an embarrassment of leaks and sloppiness for all of this time. I there there are certainly signs that White is an aggressive, serious, competent, well-connected guy and has the ability to turn this around. I hope it doesn't end up eating him up because it definitely can. Um, but it so far it seems like he might be the guy to finally wrangle this place. Yeah, I mean, that just comes from he has a lot of experience. It's in his blood. His brother, his dad, his whole family has been involved in athletics his whole life. That's, you know, from the administrative side. And that's something that Philip Fulmer just didn't have. Philip Fulmer knew how to be a football coach. He did not know how to be an administrator. Danny White is as qualified as as anyone Tennessee's had in a long time. Thank goodness. Uh, And I guess we let's let's wrap it up with a, a couple of things here just a shout out i want to get to where we can just have podcasts about basketball hopefully around march that'll happen but man that basketball team whipped up on kansas yesterday boy just read them the riot act 80 to 61 um scored 40 points in both halves played really solid defense um i believe in ken palm tennessee has the number one 
uh, highest rated defensive efficiency in America, e- even with the the sort of three sloppy games they've had. And so, excellent. The, no better time to start playing well than the month before March. Ramp up into March and be playing your best basketball by the time the tournament comes around. I love it. Throw that in, and hopefully very soon we can be having much more in-depth discussions about that. But we will get there. And then let's finish with this article that you found, Zach. An article or a couple of articles um, about... Drew Locke's feelings on Josh Heupel. Because we mentioned last week, Heupel and Drew Locke put up giant numbers at Missouri. They kicked Tennessee's butt. We, I mean, I think we all know that. Um, but Drew Locke had some interesting thoughts after Heupel left. So what what did you find that he had to say? Yeah, this is... Uh, I'm not going to lie. It, it's a little concerning, and I'm trying... You can rationalize just about anything uh, when it comes to a new coach. We've done it plenty of times. And you just you shouldn't ignore the red flags. It doesn't mean you're out on a coach or any of that. You're just kind of aware of of what you know, what issues could arise. And when Josh Heupel left uh, Missouri in twenty seventeen, he took the job at UCF, they replaced Heupel with Derek Dooley. Drew Lott probably could have went to the NFL then because of the huge numbers he was putting up at Missouri. But he decided to stay because he didn't think he was ready uh, to make the jump to the NFL because of Josh Heupel's system at Missouri. It's so simple uh, for quarterbacks to run that they don't really they don't really learn how to be NFL quarterbacks. They don't learn about protections and reading defenses. It's just a no huddle spread offense where you got a couple of reads. A lot of times you're looking just to one side of the field the whole time. I mean, it, it's obviously very efficient uh you know the numbers don't lie but they don't really uh don't really prepare you for the nfl and that's some of the comments that he made where where he said Dooley's offense was uh more complicated but it was easier for him to run because uh the year before he would just be guessing on what the receivers were going to run they didn't really have route trees in a playbook per se that that they're learning. They're just kind of reading the play and going off of that. It's really a guessing game for the quarterback, and you can't do that in the NFL at all. So it, it is kind of concerning that you got a quarterback that feels that way, that they, that, that they weren't prepared for the NFL. Ultimately, it's all about what happens in college, whether or not you win the games or not. Tennessee fans don't really care that much if the quarterback's going to be – I mean, they do care, but it's not – you know, directly related to the success of the team. But it does concern me as far as recruiting. Are you going to be able to get those top quarterbacks to come to Tennessee? Because a guy like Harrison Bailey probably commits to Tennessee because he feels like he can get to the NFL. Are you going to be able to get those guys that are already projected as first-round draft picks before they ever step foot on a college campus? What's the motivation for a Trevor Lawrence-type talent to go to Tennessee if he's not going to learn – uh, to become a better quarterback that's going to help him when he gets to the NFL. It's all, honestly, really useful to to bring up in the assessment of, of Heupel, something that I hadn't thought about at all, and I'm glad you brought to my attention because it's really interesting, and it gets really into the minutia of everything, of what it will take um, to win at Tennessee because I think this brings up something that is a serious difference between UCF and Tennessee. 
at its best, UCF can be this 13-0, and almost gimmick team at the group of five level. They put up huge numbers, but you're also only beating Memphis, Tulsa, UConn, whoever's in the, the American, I don't even know. <laughs> you're only beating those lower level teams at the end of the day, even if you do go and break off a win against Auburn or, or LSU or whoever. Um, the, at the end of the day, they are just that lower level team that doesn't just churn out NFL players. Tennessee, on the other hand, at the SEC level, Tennessee at its best can be an absolute powerhouse, the number one team in America. The you know in the nineties, Tennessee was what Alabama was at the beginning of Saban's tenure. I mean, just playing at or near the national championship every single year, getting the best players in America always, and those guys going to the NFL and becoming great NFL players. That's what Tennessee was at its height and what Tennessee can still be with the resources that it has. And if Tennessee wants to get there, you got to start sending guys to the NFL. And, I mean, your most high-profile position is your quarterback. And... Having amazing offense is great, but you want to be able to bring in the best guys. And if you get this reputation for having an offense that's not going to send guys to the league, that could definitely hurt your recruiting. I mean, does a guy like a Ty Simpson, who is an absolute must-get for a hypel? I mean, you just... There's already been reports coming out that he's talking to Ty Simpson. Thank God. They, they got to get him. And keep him in state. Um, does he look and go, well, Clemson, I, I'll go play in their simpler offense that kind of features me a little bit more. And I'll make it to the league where at Tennessee, I might be in this hokey offense that works. I put up big numbers, but it's clear to NFL teams that I might not be ready to go. I mean, how much does that mean to a recruit? And again, that's sort of the difference between the guys that you're recruiting at Tennessee and the guys that you're recruiting at UCF and, and the difference that that can make. Just just my observation on that. Well, really, there's something even more concerning than the quarterback uh, aspect of that to me. And, and that this is what really concerns me even more than what we just discussed is – what uh, some comments that Ryan Walters, who used to be the defensive coordinator at Missouri, I think he's at Illinois now, made after Hypo left Missouri, he talked about the Missouri's offense did not prepare the Missouri defense to play against other SEC programs because of the looks they saw in practice. They didn't get to see the different route trees that we we're talking about, the way that the teams kind of stretch the field horizontally instead of vertically. They didn't get a, a lot of good looks at what they were going to be playing against, and that that caused the defense to not always be as prepared as they could be. Um, and we saw that very much when Missouri played Tennessee in 2016, Heupel's first year there. Uh, Tennessee won 63-37. to 37. Uh, that, That's a lot of points for your defense to give up, especially when your offense is putting up 740 yards of offense. I mean, the fact that, Missouri lost that game and gave up 740 yards of offense. It's, it comes down to time of possession. Your defense isn't prepared. They're not getting rested. I mean, this offense is exciting as it can be. It could, it could really work against the defense, and that's my biggest concern. 
Yeah, you don't want to end up in the situation that Tennessee was in so often with Butch. I mean, when Butch's offense cooked, it was it was a good offense. Um, when Dobbs really got it going there, but so often when it would sputter, the possessions last thirty seconds. I mean, you you go like a, a failed a failed run and two failed passes, and you only ran literally forty five seconds off the clock. Yeah, and listen, you're sending, you're sending your defense back out there, and it can get bad real quick. Um, when you're just continuing to kill your defense like that. And, and maybe that's an adjustment that just Hypel's Hi- going to have to make. It seems like he is a bit of an innovator, but he he is a a reactionary, a, or or he's even proactive um, with his his offense. And But, you know, the numbers last year with UCF's defense certainly aren't, certainly aren't encouraging as far as that goes. So I, I mean, I think that's a great point to bring yeah. up, and and something that hopefully, if you bring in a really, really powerful defensive coordinator or a really competent defensive coordinator, even if it's not a big name, it's it's something that that person can work out with Hypel and they can strategize around. Hopefully, yeah. The uh, the most concerning stat from his time at Missouri, and it's something you just kind of touched on, his two years at Missouri, uh, the Tigers ranked last and second to last in time of possession. And that, that is very, very concerning to me because that you you could let a a game against a a team like Kentucky that has a pretty good defense. Uh, They, they stop Tennessee a couple of times and their offense gets rolling a little bit. And all of a sudden you could have a situation where, you, you know, like Mississippi state a couple of times last year, that's a, supposed to be a high scoring offense where all of a sudden there's not points being put on the board and you're down 21 to nothing and the game's out of hand just because you went three and out twice you in any league that matters but in the sec when you're going to be playing such powerful teams week in and week out i mean you just have to be you can't be that that simplified uh and hopefully as i said he can bring in a, a great defensive coordinator strategize around that obviously right now (laughs) if Pruitt built his team in the way that he wanted to at all this team is built for absolutely dragging offensive time of possession and holding the ball for basically as long as possible and then sending your defense out there um and so maybe they they can strategize with the players that they have and make a game plan that that works but it it's just one more of those things where Hey, that offense is really encouraging, it looks like, under Heupel. But there's there's questions, and those are big questions. And questions where you really got to say, this guy is going from small ball in a conference that will never even be allowed into the college football playoff to a school where, if you take it to its height, you will win a national title. And those are two very different things. And this guy's, yeah, he's a head coach. And we've said no more learning on the job at Tennessee. And I'm glad that they brought in a guy with sitting head coach experience. But this guy's still going to have to learn on the job. Um, Even though he's been in the SEC, he's been a head coach, there's still going to be an element of this where he is going to have to grow, I think. And it's, make no mistake, this is going to be the biggest test of this guy's career, the test of this guy's mettle and resolve. And good luck to him. 
Good luck, Josh. <laughs> glad it's not me. Well, it's, I, I, I'll take my paycheck, but yeah. at the same time, glad it's and, not me. And look, it's not like I, it, I'm not all doom and gloom over Hypo's offense and the defense. It's just one concern there. He's not the only guy in the SEC doing these types of things. Kendall Browse is the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. Browse worked with uh, Lane Kiffin at FAU. He famously doesn't use a playbook at all. I think his offense is very similar to what Josh Heupel runs. Jeff, uh, Jeff Levy, who's at Ole Miss, who's really good friends with Josh Heupel. Similar situation. Lane Kiffin's kind of doing some similar things with the offense. It's, you know, he's not the only one out there trying to run the same type of offense. Obviously, Mike Leach at Mississippi State, too. This is kind of the way the college game's moving. Uh, they're just going to have to execute against those teams with better defenses like Georgia, like Kentucky, Alabama, you just you you might have to adapt a little bit those game plans and not try to attack them like you're playing Tulsa. We'll see how he does. I think that's all that's all we can give you right now. We can analyze the picks and analyze the guy, but at the end of the day, this is Tennessee. That was UCF, and we'll we'll just see where this guy goes. But uh, any other additional thoughts, Zach? before we let the good folks go for another week. No, it's just exciting times for Tennessee. I love watching coaching staffs come together and kind of all the the little behind-the-scenes stuff that goes into that. Uh, really excited to see what kind of defensive staff he puts together. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities there. He puts together a good staff. Uh, suddenly you can see how the hype will kind of start building for next season, even though there's a lot of unknowns. I'll be really interested to see how spring practice goes and kind of some of the comments from players. Also, you know, kind of when you look at things from the media side of things, I'm really interested to see how Tennessee's approach to covering spring practice changes. I know with COVID, it's a little different. So they, I think they still won't be able to have reporters there in person. But, I, you know, they're, they're, every head coach has their own approach to press conferences, how they do them, who they let speak to the media, how often they speak to the media what kind of stuff gets put out there. I'll, I'll be really interested to see if any of that changes under Hypo. I hope it does. I, I've i already said it enough on this show. Danny White, clean the place out. Hypo, clean the place out. Just start anew because there, there is so much hope with, with new people coming in, even if they're not necessarily the guys I wanted to see take over this job. There's a ton of hope specifically with the competence that I think Danny White is showing, even if he is kind of going out there and lecturing the fans or whatever you think of that. But the competence that he's showing, the promise of Heupel's offense, there's excitement here to be had. And I don't want Tennessee fans to get bogged down and, and oh, it's just going to be the same thing, Tennessee, over, over and over again. Don't let yourself into it. I know you want to. So do I. But you just, you got to fight through. It's a new day, folks. Let's uh, let's give him a chance. That's that's what I got for today. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. This has been the Big Orange Podcast. We thank you so 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 much for listening to us every week. Um, there have been some really loyal, cool listeners that uh, that say nice things about us, and we we appreciate you uh, a ton. And I think that's it. Everybody, have a great week. Uh, go watch the Tennessee basketball team. Now that this stupid coaching search is over, go support these boys on the basketball court because they're doing big things. 
And uh, that's my message for this week. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT on Twitter, A to Z Sports Nashville.com, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, blah, 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 blah. A to Z Sports uh, podcast, network, feed, rate, review, subscribe. That's it. Okay. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to y'all later. See you guys later.